welcome to the Nursing Standard podcast. I'm Flavia Munn, editor of Nursing Standard. Now, today's episode explores the support nursing students with a disability or impairment can expect from their clinical placement providers. We're talking about reasonable adjustments. These are alterations that can be made to ensure someone with a physical or mental health condition covered under the Equality Act is not disadvantaged. Hearing loops on telephones is an obvious example of a reasonable adjustment, but the changes can be quite subtle and are personalised to the individual. My colleague, Senior Nurse Editor Richard Hatchett, has been speaking to Elizabeth King, a Senior Lecturer in the Department of Nursing and Midwifery at London South Bank University. Her doctoral research examines the topic of reasonable adjustments. They are joined by Ricky Baker, a newly qualified nurse who has dyspraxia and talks about his personal experience. So let's take a listen. Today we're looking at making reasonable adjustments for nursing students on clinical placements to ensure that they can fulfil their learning requirements and essentially to flourish. And this is primarily focusing on pre-registered colleagues. I'm joined today by Elizabeth King, a senior lecturer and registered nurse whose doctoral research explored this specific area. And Ricky Baker, who's just qualified and has championed colleagues who may need adjustments. And this is partly based on his own experiences. And also in 2020, Ricky was a finalist in the RCNI Nurse Awards in this specific area. So welcome to you both. Ricky, I'll bring you in in a second just to look perhaps at your own experiences of this area. But Liz, can I start with you by asking, what are the types of reasonable adjustments from your own experience that students are asking for in clinical placement? Thank you, Richard. Yes, so I've been undertaking my uh, doctoral research around this topic Um, And from the research that I've undertaken and from my personal experience of being a registrant in the clinical area and now supporting students as a lecturer, um, I suppose the the main message is that the reasonable adjustments are very bespoke to the individual. They range from, um, it's a a range of disabilities and impairments from anything from um, mental health conditions to physical health conditions to intellectual disabilities such as dyslexia. And um, the reasonable adjustments in clinical placement are very individualised. So this can be extra time for writing patient notes. This can be coloured screens or coloured paper for students have dyslexia. It's a range. It can be um, a change of shift pattern, for example, for students who may have epilepsy, who may not be able to work night shifts because this can be a trigger to their fits. It can be time for students with type 1 diabetes to have rest breaks and take their insulin. So it really um, is personalised, individualised and very unique to each student. What's reasonable, Liz? So under the Equality Act, anyone who's registered with a disability or impairment is legally entitled to a reasonable adjustment. And it's uh, quite generic the way it's written within the Equality Act. And it's about um, entitling that person to have a good quality of life and to be able to access everything at work and achieve their potential in the workplace. Um, And now obviously the word reasonable makes a little bit of grey area and especially in nursing because our our bottom line, our underlying importance is uh, patient care 
and patient safety. So whatever reasonable adjustments we make, <coughs> excuse me, whatever reasonable adjustments we make for um, student nurses and their learning, it has to incorporate patient safety. Um, and that's where it can become a little tricky. So Ricky, from your experience and uh, across the social media platforms, does that resonate with you? Is that the type of things you're hearing um, people want for reasonable adjustments? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like Liz said, um, you know, the reasonable ad- adjustments are individual based. So the student will know actually what they need when they go out into practice. So it's really important that although there might be certain things on paper that our class has reasonable adjustments, we've got to look at other aspects um, and actually speak to the students to what they need such as the extra time they might need the extra support they might need and just how maybe their learning can be tailored to their individual needs so just a point of reference you're both talking about uh, often about something that's physical psychological it's not really about in, in, in particularly in your work Liz it's not about um, things like childcare and things that sort of everyday life things it's more about the individual and a difficulty that's more physical psychological it's anything that falls under the equality act um they're defined as um either medically or socially um as a disability or impairment um so and it's something that's either been diagnosed usually by a doctor uh, using the medical model um but um you know as the world changes we're seeing other things now that are being classed as disability or impairment um uh, and in pre-reg nursing we're seeing a lot of mental health issues which obviously doesn't necessarily prevent a student from achieving that goal of becoming a registrant but they may require some sort of reasonable adjustment to enhance their learning and clinical placement can we touch on self-disclosure people actually disclosing um that they may need um, some support. Uh, Ricky, can I start with you on that one? Um, I suppose there's pros and cons on self-disclosure based on what the person thinks the consequences might be, good or bad. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really difficult one. Um, I mean, for myself, I actually wasn't diagnosed with dyspraxia until um, I was halfway through my third year. So I think it was difficult for me in the sense that I had to go into placement environments that I've already been in before and be like, oh, actually, this is why maybe I struggle a little bit or I'm not advanced as other students. Um, But ultimately... When you do actually stand up and say, this is this is what I need, um, can I have help with this? Majority, you're, you're going to get the help. Most of the time you are going to get the support and you're going to get the help. I think just the, the, the most difficult thing for students who have um, a specific learning difficulty um, is that they lack confidence um, in many cases and, and therefore the lack of confidence is really difficult to then actually get the courage to then do a self-disclosure because you're worried about maybe feeling stupid or feeling isolated or you you know you you're not quite on par with other students and you're always comparing yourself um but 
I guess you've just got to really own it. You've really got to own your learning difficulty and be like, this is me, this is the way that I learn um, and ask people for support and ask them for help. Um, and that way you will get it when you're out in practice. I mean, Liz, what are your comments on that? I'm thinking about self-disclosure from your research, both from the student's perspective and what staff felt about self-disclosure, the attitude towards it. I think Ricky's answer there really resonates with the feedback that I got from my student study participants. Um, And a lot of them felt that that confidence grew as they went from the first year of their training to the third year of their training with disclosure. I think there are definitely mixed experiences. There's some very positive experiences of disclosing to nursing staff, but there are also unfortunately some negative experiences. Staff in general um, uh, have fed back that they prefer when the students disclose because then they know, as as Ricky was saying, they know what they're dealing with. They know um, how to make this learning experience bespoke. Um, And on the whole, um, students have fed back that if, you know, the disclosure experience has been positive and the nurses and the mentors, supervisors, assessors really have tried their best to support them, even if they don't exactly know what the the reasonable adjustment is, they have tried their best to support the student. So before we move on to looking at what support can be offered and kind of enhancing the the confidence and maybe even the competence of of listeners, can we just build a little bit more on that attitude? What were some of the um, experiences you saw from um, your respondents, Liz, in terms of the the attitude to them um, in self-disclosing? Um, the positive attitudes uh, were mainly around the nurse, the nurses being um, very uh, positive that they had disclosed. Some of the nurses themselves have a disability or impairment, including things like dyslexia and dyspraxia. So were able to share their own personal experiences of reasonable adjustments in placement and be a role model um, to the students. Um, the students fed back it can also be to do with the type of placement so for example the students who undertook a learning disabilities placement and that had a very uh, much more sort of positive experience mainly because those nurses are making reasonable adjustments freely and every day for their clients so they saw it as an extension of their everyday work um, providing reasonable adjustments for their students from the nurses um, sometimes the willingness is there to support the students but the attitude as we're calling it for want of a word um, is around workload you know they see it as an extra layer of work for them to not only be mentoring a student but now being you know responsible for the provision of a reasonable adjustment and even um, nurses with the best will in the world can find this quite stressful and time consuming and uh, just an added layer of stress to their shift. And Ricky yourself the the attitude of staff to um, self-disclosure and and people um, struggling a little bit. What are you hearing yourself? Um, Yeah, so I've heard from other students who, like Liz says, you know, are are struggling um, and they do have difficulties. Um, And I mean, at the moment, uh, you know, with the current pandemic going on, uh, it begs the question is really, are students with specific learning difficulties actually being supported appropriately um, in clinical practice 
Um, and if you would think that maybe the average student is struggling at the moment, then you would um, be more likely to believe that actually the student with a specific learning difficulty is struggling even more um, with actually the way they might perceive themselves and their learning difficulty. Um, and then again, how others might perceive them because maybe they feel they're unable to do the work um, at the same level as other students who are in the same year. Um, and I think it's really important actually for, you know, those out in the clinical environment to understand that even for anybody with, with a specific learning difficulty or not, is that everybody's learning is different and at a different pace. Because, I mean, I had an experience where once I was told at the beginning of my third year that I'm a third year, so I should be able to have my own patience. But actually, what they failed to, um, to know was that I'd spent the whole of my second year in the community and I really struggled with that, you know. So I needed extra support and help. So I did say that and I did get the support. But um, there is like a perception that, oh, you're in this year, you can do this. Whereas actually people need to talk to the students and ask them what they need, how can we support you? Um, and just be more forthcoming actually in, in asking those questions to students um, it, it, in any aspect, just to see how better they can be supported. So I suppose it's focusing on your, both your original points about it's getting to know your student, the individual needs, isn't it? The, getting to know the student as a person rather than as a student. Okay, let's have a look at um, what support can be offered because you'll both have um, a lot of experience in this. Um, Liz, what can the team do to offer support? Um, I think, first of all, Ricky made a really good point about um, the key to the success, and this came through in the research I've been undertaking, is um, if the student themselves can become almost an expert in their reasonable adjustments, it, may, it can make the process much smoother. Um, and if they can um, understand the reasonable adjustments that they have been offered, including the reasonable adjustments that they need, because um, the university may suggest a list of reasonable adjustments for clinical placement, but the student may not need all of them. Um, and the students take this um, uh, disability report and show their nurses and say, this is what the university has advised I need for placement, for reasonable adjustments, but they may not need them all. So I think it's a really good point that Ricky made that if students can become competent and confident in understanding their own reasonable adjustments, that does make the whole process a lot smoother. Um, there are obvious reasonable adjustments that are easier to provide than others, such as hearing loops on the telephones in the clinical areas, and many wards actually have those already, they were already installed. But other maybe uh, more bespoke reasonable adjustments um, may not be available already in the clinical area. Um, it may be that the nursing staff need to liaise with the university, with the lecturers, with the disability service or their own in-trust or in-house um, in, you know, um, inclusion and equality team about whether these things can be provided. Because, of course, they're not just going to be beneficial for the, the, that one student nurse, but it could be other student nurses in the future and indeed members of staff who may also require that reasonable adjustment. So there are certainly reasonable adjustments that are quite readily available. 
and others that may be more tricky to obtain and um, may need funding. But of course, we do have the access to work funding from the government that, that can be accessed and utilised. Your own experiences on that, um, Ricky, did you get what you needed? What other support are you hearing colleagues that are that are getting? What can the team actually do? Yeah, so um, like, like Liz says about, um, you know, when I was a student, um, I did get assessed and they said and recommended quite a lot of things to me. But again, as Liz says, I didn't need all of those things. Um, and in actual fact, what helped me more than anything was my one-to-one support um, and that really helped me to be able to understand my dyspraxia, to be able to understand coping techniques, um, etc. Um, and now that I have just qualified, um, well I've qualified as a nurse, um, I have had my access to work um, and so I'll be able to have a laptop at work which which helps with my organisation skills um, and things like that really. So there are certain things that can be put into place and like Liz says does need um, a certain amount of funding but when you are actually a student um, I believe in many cases that the university will fund the majority of your assessment um, and therefore, that's probably the best time really for you to, to get assessed for specific learning difficulty if you are struggling. Um, and a bit like I said before, I wasn't actually diagnosed till the middle of my third year when I started really, really struggling with things and thinking I couldn't do it. Um, and all of a sudden I found out, oh my gosh, this is actually, uh, you know, what I've got. It fits every single box as to why I'm struggling. And I was able then to get the one-to-one support, which really, really helped me. And again, in placement, I was able to say, you know, I really need that one-to-one support um, with with mentors, um, well, well, assessors, mentors, supervisors, because that's another thing that's really difficult at the moment for people with specific learning difficulties was the change in the NMC guidance. Whereas before you used to work with a mentor, so say, for example, if you had a specific learning difficulty, you would work along with that mentor, your mentor would understand you, they do your interview um, and you'd know, they would know you, you would know them and you could work together towards your individual needs and how you wanted to learn. But um, the NMC guidance now says, you know, anybody is a supervisor. Um, and you don't technically work for your assessor, you work with anybody. Whilst that might work for some people, in actual fact, what clinical placements might need to do is they might need to nominate, for example, let's say two supervisors just for that student so that those supervisors know the individual's learning difficulty and how to move forward with their learning, because that's what I personally did on my last placement so I didn't then have to go to every single supervisor that I was with and say look this is the reason why when you ask me a question I can't answer you straight away and this is why I can't retain the information you know that you tell me because my memory is bad you know because um, it can be quite demoralizing so by having those two people that really understood me and understood my needs um, that would help me immensely to be able to tick off all the things that I needed to do and work towards and made me feel really comfortable, really confident um, 
And, you know, and then I was also able to concentrate on the things that I am really good at. So I wasn't focusing on all, you know, the things maybe I'm not so good at. I was focusing on the fact of, you know, I'm quite good at problem solving and thinking outside the box and things like that and using my skills and coping strategies alongside those people who were there to really help me. So, yeah. Is there a risk, um, question perhaps to both of you, that there is a feminine feast situation here that uh, you've got to get diagnosed to get the help? Mm. I think you do need a diagnosis of, under the medical model of disability. You do need a diagnosis to um, access reasonable adjustments. Um, uh, as Ricky was alluding to, um, HEIs will um, help with disability funding. Um, and the assessment and other um, health conditions have to be diagnosed by a GP for example or a consultant. Uh, yeah and just touch, touching on that I, I would agree that you know to be able to get that support and help you, you, you do need to be assessed. I mean I probably just I, I, I had coping mechanisms already and I was using those coping mechanisms and then it got to a stage where actually I was really struggling in practice. I was really struggling and failing assignments um, and I just couldn't get past that point. Um, and that really meant that my coping strategy, strategies had run out. So all those coping strategies I've used up until this point in my life, they had run out and just were not working anymore for my degree. So like I said, I got diagnosed um, halfway through my third, third year um, and then as soon as I was diagnosed, I knew exactly because all the little things that were happening in my life fitted into the categories. And it was a huge relief to me to say, gosh, actually, this is what's happening. And this really is the support I need. And then I was able to tailor the, the specific support to my own learning needs. Um, and that really got me through the rest, the rest of my degree, really. Um, so I would agree you do need to probably be diagnosed if you're going to access the support and, and the funding and then the reasonable adjustments while both at university in practice and for when you qualify. OK, as so a final point, do we, Liz, need a cultural shift with this? Are things getting better? The existing research out there and my own research would suggest yes. It's not all a bleak picture um, not at all. There are some pockets of excellent practice um, and excellent um, nurse mentorship, nurse support for, for student nurses requiring reasonable adjustments. But I think we definitely there is definitely more work to do about um, just being more inclusive in the nursing workforce um, in terms of the environment, even um, as well as mentoring our student nurses. Um, I mean, uh, one of my interviews I undertook, um, one of the participants made an excellent point and she said, nurses make reasonable adjustments every day for their patients. If your patient requires a walking frame or the commode to use the toilet and we don't we don't question it, we don't blink, we just go and get the commode, you know, go and get the walking frame. And then suddenly you'll have a student nurse in front of you who requires a reasonable adjustment and it becomes a bit problematic. And um, this participant said to me, 
there's a mismatch there, isn't there, about nurses not realising that actually a main part of their job every day is making reasonable adjustments for their patients. So it's almost as if that mindset needs to be transferred into nurse mentorship, if you like, um, to see that it's just an extension of what nurses do every day anyway, and it's not something extra or on top of their workload. Your thoughts on that one, Ricky, the kind of the cultural shift and things getting better? Yeah, so, um, I mean, like I say, personally for myself, since actually I got my diagnosis, um, I was able to tell people about it in practice. um, And even now as a newly qualified nurse, I'm getting all the support really that I need. um, And... Uh, so I, I think people are becoming more aware, but I mean, if you talk to somebody about dyspraxia, uh, they'll probably say to you, oh, well, you're clumsy. <laughs> and there's so much more to it, actually, than, you know, uh, your coordination skills. Um, and every single person is unique. Every single person is individual. Um, and just going on from that, really, as well, I think that, it's it's sometimes scary because um people think it's classed as a disability um although you know it might come under the the heading disability it's more of a learning difficulty and therefore sometimes people see the disability and they're, they're like but, but I'm not I'm not disabled and I wouldn't want to take anything away from those people who are disabled in practice that do need that support But then at the same time, um, you know, what umbrella would it come under? So that's where the grey area is, really, um, because people don't really understand. There's not that much education and nobody is really sure what umbrella or term, I think, anyway, it it comes under. Um, But... Additionally to that, um, I recently found out in my access to work is that they can give your practice areas um, training um, on actual certain, you know, learning difficulties such as dyspraxia. So that's what will happen for my placement. I think they'll be delivered some on- online training about it. Um, so I thought you know, that was a really, really positive thing that actually they're providing to, um, you know, my workplace now. And I wonder whether that's something maybe they can, we can get supplied across the board, really, is that actually workplaces can have some training on this um, and whether we can get it a bit more widely um, shared across the NHS. So that would be something, you know, really interesting to find out if we could do more of uh, in the future or the NHS can do more of in the future just to educate people um, and maybe even include it as part of the student curriculum, part of training. Um, so actually students learn a little bit more about learning difficulties um, as part of their training for when actually they are working in practice in case they come across uh, individuals, children, adults, whoever their patients are who might also suffer with these as well. Liz King, Ricky Baker, thank you very much indeed. And thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that all the resources connected with this episode of the show can be found at rcni.com 
forward slash podcast, where you can also catch up on any episodes you may have missed or simply want to play back. And we greatly appreciate any feedback, so please do rate or review us on Apple or Spotify podcasts, which will also help other people to find us. I hope you enjoyed the show.